0: Pastor Chris I glad that you are here um, and uh, if this is your first time just want to uh, take a moment and and welcome you uh, it's really interesting I, I was I was curious to see what the crowd was going to be like this week because at this service um, last week we had like 13 people sitting out in the lobby and so I'll be interested to see if some of those, 10 o'clock people now jump to the (laughs) 11.30 service. So uh, it's great to have you guys. We are in a series called Bold Prayers, where we've been taking some time over the course of these last few weeks to look at different prayers within the Bible, some pretty bold prayers that have been prayed. One was found uh, in uh, First Chronicles chapter 4 where we talked about the prayer of Jabez and how the uh, Jabez was asking the Lord in that moment, this very kind of ironic passage just kind of stuck in the middle of this lineage um, that he's asking the Lord just to expand his territory. And, um, and then uh, last week we looked at Hezekiah's prayer where the Lord sent a prophet to him and said, hey, Uh, Hezekiah by the way you're going to die and uh, Hezekiah said uh, went to the Lord and bitterly wept and the prophet comes back prophet Isaiah comes back to Hezekiah and says okay well the Lord changed his mind didn't change mine the Lord said that he's going to give you 15 more years Um, and how uh, how cool that is to see and this morning we're going to be looking at Hannah's prayer which is found in first Samuel uh, first Samuel chapter one and chapter two it's kind of it's kind of two, uh, really two sermons in one, but I promise you, I won't preach to you for two hours this morning. Okay. You guys can get like, yes, that's good. I'll get you to lunch on time. Um, and, uh, and and so we see Hannah's prayer, uh, or we see Hannah's response to um, something that's going on in her life, and then we see her prayer over that circumstance that we're going to be looking at in First Samuel chapter one and chapter two this morning. Um, but I don't know about you, but I grew up uh, loving to water ski. I grew up in uh, High Point, North Carolina, and I am a, I'm, uh, a I am the baby of a family of four. Uh, my parents uh, had my sister um, when they were pretty young. My my dad was uh, in the army, and uh, my mom uh, was pretty much a stay-at-home mom at the time. And uh, they she, she they ended up having my sister, and then they waited four years and had my brother, and then they waited ten years and had my other brother, and then they waited four years and had me, the baby, the best one in the family. (laughs) And the best looking. And, um, (laughs) And, and so but my, my my siblings like to say that I was an oops baby that it just it wasn't planned right but God had plans for me but we were we uh so it's really interesting because my older brother and sister um they grew up when my parents were uh didn't have a whole lot of money they they like to say that they were dirt poor when when my parents uh were uh, married and and young of course who's young and married and not dirt poor, right? Um, and so my sister, she used to say, yeah, I would get in the car, and that was before kids had to wear seat belts. I mean, they could ride in the back, and you could ride in the back of a pickup truck, and now they just, safety is just an issue, right? Um, and, and so they would, uh, she would like get down in the car in the back seat on the floorboard because there was a hole in the back of the car. She liked to watch the road go by. She's weird, right? Yeah. And, and they used to talk about that. It's really, it really interesting because one day we were actually in the we were at the hospital for something. We had gone to see somebody, and my bro, both of my brothers were were out in the car, and I believe I was in the car too. But I just happened to be the one that was in a in, in a actual car seat because I was a baby. And my brother decided while my parents were in the hospital that my older brother was going to drive the car around the parking lot. he started driving around the parking lot. He slammed on brakes, and my oldest younger brother went flying through and hit his head on the uh on the windshield yeah we did all kinds of crazy stuff but we 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 had a lake house when i as i was growing up and loved to love to water ski i started water skiing when i was about like seven six or seven years old learned to learned to water ski and kneeboarding became a thing at that time you guys know what kneeboarding is right it's not this fancy like uh what's that other thing they do now it's wakeboarding i heard it you're smart that's right Wakeboard and all that fancy kind of stuff. No, we just rode on our knees, and and so we we were going wake we were going wakeboard or uh, now you got me confused. We were going kneeboarding at this one time. I was really young, and my brothers decided they wanted me to ride the ride the kneeboard, and I think they had other alternatives, but uh, they put me on this kneeboard and and took the strap, and it had like a Velcro strap that you could put over you could put over your legs to kind of help you stay on the board. Well, I was so small at the time, again, I was only probably seven, eight years old. They took this strap and they wrapped it over and because it would not Velcro, they decided they were going to wrap it around and tie it down. You know? And so they did that. And so my one of my brothers is driving the boat. And my other brother, he's standing back there. He's getting kind of holding the board. And and my brother takes off and we get out. and We get out a little ways, not too far. It's a Saturday, uh, Saturday afternoon. I mean, I don't know if you've ever been on a lake a Saturday afternoon. There were boats everywhere, and it was like an ocean out there. Well, I hit this one wave, I hit the very first wave, and and I flipped over. And here I was flipped over. I I did have a vest on, but I was, because I was strong enough and because my legs were so tied in, I couldn't get out from under the board and the board was upside down. Well, fortunately, again, I had a vest on. So the only thing out of the water at that time was probably my nose and my mouth and my eyes. And and, and the, the vest was keeping me up, but the waves kept crashing over me. I mean, it it felt like it was out in the ocean. You ever been out in the ocean and tried to, like, you know, stay up? And and so, I'm tied on this board. It's flipped over. I went strong enough to get the board. Probably weighed more than me at the time. I'm trying to flip it back over, and I I just can't. And so, they decide that they're going to take a nice little stroll around the lake, right? They don't just stop and turn their boat around and come back to get me. They're like, oh, it's our brother. We'll come back later. No. Now, they take this big old turn, kind of this big old turn around the lake, and the closer that they got to me, they realize that I'm struggling to breathe. So, they get close, and they all jump out of the boat. Well, fortunately, the boat was in neutral, so it didn't keep going. They all jump out of the boat, and they jump in, they untangle me, and and it was just one of those... Situations or circumstances in my life where it really changed my perspective on a lot of things, especially as I got older and look back at a situation like that. And here's what I want to tell you this morning as we look at this passage in 1 Samuel, the thought for this morning is this circumstances often lead us to a place of desperation, and prayer leads us to a place of surrender. And prayer leads us to a place of surrender. So, God allowed this circumstance in my life to put me into a place of desperation because I don't know if you have been in a similar situation or one much like that. When you get in that moment, what is your first thing? God, help me get out of this. Lord, help me, and and most of the people, even if they don't believe in God, if they're put into a desperate situation, in those moments, all of a sudden, now they have this belief that God can get them out of that situation, even if up until this point, they haven't necessarily lived for that in their, lived for that in their life. And so, this is a little bit of a circumstance that we're going to see as we jump into Hannah's prayer, this morning in 1 Samuel chapter 1 and 1 Samuel chapter 2. We're going to, to, in chapter 1, we're just going to see a little bit of her story, and in chapter 2, we're going to read just a small portion of her prayer. And so, in 1 Samuel chapter 1, it says this, that in verse 6, there, there, it says, The first five verses begin the story of Hannah, but I wanted to uh, just kind of give you some parts leading up to her prayer. The first thing is this in in verse six, it says, because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb. So Hannah is young. She hasn't been able to have a child. Um, She's in the Old Testament. She was married to this man by the name of Elkanah, and he had another wife. So he had multiple wives. Okay, that's not that's frowned upon today, just so we're clear. All right. That's funny, it, okay? Just one wife, all right? Guys, you couldn't handle more than one anyway. All right. <laughs> That's a whole other Bible story. And, and the other wife was actually making fun of, uh, uh, was picking on Hannah because she couldn't have a child. It says, because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year, and whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. That was verse 6 and 7. Then skip down to verse 10. It says this, in her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly, and She made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. Now, it's really interesting because what you have to understand is that in those days, if you were a woman that had not had a child or a son, you were looked down upon. You, you were looked down upon culturally, and, 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 and just like Hannah, you were made fun of. Skip over to verse 21, it says this, but then when her husband Elkanah went up, uh, so she got pregnant, the Lord, she prayed and asked the Lord for a child, and the Lord gave her a child. She named him Samuel, and she named him Samuel because his name means the Lord hears, because the Lord heard and answered her prayer. It says when her husband Elkanah went up with all of his family to offer the annual sacrifice to the Lord and to fulfill his vow, Hannah did not go. She said to her husband, after the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord and he will live there always. Do what seems best to you, her husband Elkanah told her. Stay here until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord make good his word. So the woman stayed at home and nursed her son until she had weaned him. After he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, uh, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When the bull had been sacrificed, they brought the boy to Eli and she said to him, pardon me, my Lord, as surely as you live, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for the child and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him for his whole life. He will be given over to the Lord and he worshiped the Lord there. And then here's Hannah's prayer to that. So Hannah was dead in this place of desperation where she wanted a son. She asked the Lord for a son. God answers her prayer. And now she's nursed him for these three or four years. And now she's taken him to um, Eli the priest. And she has given this three or four year old to Eli because that's what she had promised God to do. And this was her prayer. It says, Hannah prayed and said, my heart rejoices in the Lord and in the Lord Lord, my horn is lifted high my mouth boasts over my enemies for I delight in your deliverance I think that's probably a little bit of like you were making fun of me guess what (laughs) look what God did and then she goes on verse 2 there is no one holy like the Lord There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. Do not keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speak such arrogance. For the Lord is a God who knows and by him deeds are weighed. The bows of the arrows are broken, but those who stumbled are armed with strength. Those who were full hire themselves out for food. But those who were hungry are hungry no more. She who was barren has borne seven children, but she who has had many sons pines them away. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and he raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and he lifts the needy from the ash heap. He sets them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honor. For the foundations of the earth are the Lord's and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful servants, but the wicked will be silenced in the place of darkness. It is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be broken. The most high will thunder from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth and he will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Then Elkanah went home to Ramah. But the boy, Samuel, ministered before the Lord until Eli, uh, under Eli the priest. And we have this story of Hannah. And I think there's some really uh, interesting truths, some great truths for us to be able to apply to our life as it, as it pertains to bold prayers I think one of the things that we challenged you to over the course of these last weeks was what were some things that maybe you could be asking God, some bold prayers that you could be asking God, but that when we ask God for those bold things, it's not like God is a vending machine. Like we just ask and all of a sudden we get, but our heart has to be in line with the things of God. And obviously, as God answered Hannah's prayer here in this passage, his heart Her heart was in line with the very thing that God wanted to do in that moment. Even though, listen, even though he had made her barren up until this point, God had a purpose. So here are the the truths that we can pull from this passage. And the first thing is this, Hannah, Hannah chose to rejoice. Hannah chose to rejoice in the very first part of her, in the very first part of her prayer. What does she say? She says, my heart rejoices in the Lord. And here's the truth that we can take from that, that it, it, Hannah wasn't rejoicing in how challenging or difficult her circumstances was or had been. She was rejoicing in who the Lord had who the Lord was, because right, she still probably kind of had some pain from the past, because that's a lot of times what happens, although God answered her prayer, and God gave her a stun, she still had some of that pain from the past, but she didn't have to live in the circumstance, she wasn't rejoicing in the circumstance, but she was rejoicing in the Lord, and what he had done, and how he had answered prayer. You see, in most desperate situations, when we have nothing else to rejoice in, we can rejoice in the Lord. You see, she was rejoicing in Him and in the obedience that she was able to to be a part of. Her pain didn't have to be the last word. She trusted that God would answer her. And so, Hannah chose to rejoice even in this difficult situation. We're like, well, God answered, her, God answered her prayer, right? Yeah, He did. But that was just the beginning of something difficult for her, right? She, she, and we'll see that in just a moment as we get a little bit further down. The second thing is this, is that Hannah's barren, barrenness made her more desperate for the Lord. Her, her barrenness, this situation, this circumstance that she was having to live out made her more desperate for the Lord. Because what would happen? She'd go up there and it says that she wept bitterly and that the Lord heard her and he answered her prayer. It made her more desperate for the Lord. And my question to you this morning is how desperate are we? How desperate are we? You see, uh, I believe there's two different forms of desperation, right? Desperate people do desperate things. But what we're talking about here this morning is actually a different type of desperation. If you watch TV, you see that desperate people do desperate things. If you watch movies, in most movies, desperate people most of the time do stupid things. If we're being really honest. But what, what, we, what we're learning from Hannah's prayer is that her desperation, not only for a child and in her circumstance, but it led her to a place where she chose to rejoice and her barrenness and her circumstance actually led her more to a desperation place of wanting more of who God was. Do our circumstances make us more desperate for Jesus or do they actually push us away? Do they actually push us away? You see, because I think sometimes we just take life and we just go through the motions. And it's in moments like these where we begin to see that I think God allows in our life. Remember, it's, I think it's hard for us sometimes to wrap our mind around the fact that God actually does things that we can't fully understand, right? Right? Because in the, in the reality, it, most people in our culture today would say, well, it said that God made her barren. And most of, most of the time, if that was the case, we'd be like, well, that's not fair. And so understanding who God is and that what he does doesn't always make sense to us, but he has a plan and a purpose for us and in those moments when we don't understand, then we need to desperately run after the things of God. Run after His heart and what He desires. You see, God answered, His, answered a prayer. God answered a prayer, and it led to this last one that I, or this next one that I want to give to you guys, and it's this: we can trust God with the things. We can trust God with the things that are most precious to us. We can trust God with the things that are most precious to us. This, this last service, we had a family, the Clement family, Shane and Theodora and Cynthia and their son, William. And today, this morning at, at the, the service just before this, we had the opportunity to pray over William you see, William today, his parents are putting him in a car and driving him to Raleigh, and tomorrow he'll be enlisting into the Navy. And from this point forward, he'll be in the Navy. And it was, it was neat to be able to see a family, a mom and dad, who were actually living examples of that, having to trust one of their most precious things. To the Lord. And let's be honest as parents, our kids aren't ours. They've been given to us as a gift to steward our children. And in realities, if they were to be taken from us, we, they, that is a, it is a precious thing to us. But I think what we have to learn as parents is that God, we can trust God with our kids. Because at some point, as your kids get older into 13, 14, 15 years old, and they start to want more freedom, at some point, just being honest, you got to let the chain go. And so it's in those moments that we have to say, We have to trust God. That's why it's really important, parents, listen to me. It's why it's really important to build a strong foundation from this point forward. From this point forward, because God can be trusted. Um, Okay, so put your, put your, put your heart in the place of Hannah. Hannah prayed and asked the Lord to give her a son. God answered her prayer. She nursed him for, three or four years. Can you imagine on the day that she went up for this child that she had nursed and then all of a sudden she had to say and walk away? Maybe the lesson here is not only that we can trust God with the things that are most precious to us, but I think the other lesson is this, is that we have to be careful that we don't hold on too tightly the things that aren't really ours. Because the sad part is most of the time we, ha- we hold on to things tightly that don't really matter. And so I think what we can learn from Hannah's story is we can trust God with the things that he has given to us. The other thing is, Hannah kept her promise. She said, God, if you give me a son, I'll give him back to you. And Hannah kept her commitment and gave him. She ended up naming the boy Samuel. And Samuel means, remember we talked about Jabez a couple of weeks ago and that Jabez, his mom gave him the name birthed out of pain. Well, Hannah gives her son the name Samuel, which means the guy that God hears. And he served the Lord the rest of his life. The last thing that I want you guys to know, as it looks at Hannah's story and her prayer and these things is this, is that Hannah found that her true identity was in who God had created her to be and in her obedience. That's, remember, can you... Because most of the time when we're walking through difficult things, you see, she probably struggled with her identity early on because she had people who were making fun of her because she couldn't have any children. Now, can you imagine being the one knowing that she's had a child and now she's gone and had to give him away? And so what we know to be true about Hannah is that she still rejoiced in that moment of having to let her son go. Now here's the interesting part. The very last verse in, in 1 Samuel chapter 2. Uh, yeah, verse, as a part of verse 10 is this. It says he will, he will give strength to his king. And he will exalt the horn of his anointed. That's actually a prophecy about Jesus. Right? What did Mary have to do with Jesus? God came to Mary and said, hey, you're going to have a son. Mary, did, Mary and Joseph did their best to raise, them, to raise Jesus. I mean, how hard could it be to raise the perfect child? <laughs> but then she had to let him go. And Jesus became the sacrifice for all of us. So I don't know if you wrestle with your identity this morning. But just know that your identity can be found in who God is. And by taking steps of obedience. I don't know where you're at this morning. Spiritually, I don't know if you have a relationship with Christ. And I just want to encourage you to that this morning. As we uh, just think about the things that Hannah had to, to walk through and to bear that this morning we would come to that place of obedience in who Christ is just like Hannah did. Will you close your eyes with me for just a moment? Are you rejoicing in the Lord? Are you trusting Him with the things that are most precious to you? That even in your difficult circumstance, you know that God still has a plan and a purpose. God can take what doesn't make sense and he can make sense of it. He can turn what the enemy tries to do for evil, he can take it and make it good. It's in those difficult circumstances that we come to a place of desperation. But it's in prayer that we come to a place of surrender. Are you trusting the Lord right now? Have you surrendered to Him? Are you willing to give him everything? You see, because as followers of Jesus, if we claim to be followers of Jesus, and I realize that there may be some in here who are still struggling with that, and maybe your beginning prayer this morning is just say, God, I need you to help me know what it means to have a relationship with you. Help me to know more about you because I'm struggling with that. But maybe what God is asking of this group of people here this morning is just surrender to Him. Surrender your job, your family, your future, your finances. began to ask God boldly God help me in these circumstances make me more desperate for you and maybe what you need this morning is just to turn your eyes off your situation and turn your eyes on to God and allow him to just go ahead and do the things that only he can do God, I just pray that in this moment, you will just show us who we are. Show us who we truly are. Help us to be able to rejoice in our circumstances. To know more of who you are. know more of who you are so that we can know more of who we are. And be willing to surrender to that. God, I pray if there's anyone in here who doesn't know you right now, I pray that right now they will make the decision to step into a relationship with you and say yes to you. God will be sure to give you the glory and honor praise for who you are in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand with me? We're going to sing a song. And it deals with our identity, who we are in Christ. And uh, really coming to fully understand that here this morning. And what I'm going to do is at the end of our song, in just a moment, I'll have the prayer team come up at the end of the song and if you want to be prayed over before you leave this morning, we want to give you that opportunity to be prayed over. There's some things that you're walking through and navigating or just some things. Maybe you want to come forward and rejoice with our prayer team over just what who God is and what He is doing. And then as you leave today, what we'd like to encourage you to do is take a card from one of the walls. The cards on this wall are our partnerships with Lifeline Pregnancy Center, with today being Sanctity of Human Life and us dealing with Hannah surrendering, you know, her child to the Lord. Today just being the sanctity of human life we want to pray for those partnership organizations that we have with lifeline and with seven homes and with um, the bear Foundation and we would just ask that you would take one of these cards home and you just begin to pray for those three organizations as they help uh, help find places for children who don't have homes and don't have parents and then lifeline as their moms that we know that are struggling with whether to keep their child or uh, to to have an abortion and obviously we we hope that they make the choice to have the child and that lifeline can help them uh, through that process and so would you just pray for those part partner organizations well let's sing together